Hi there, everyone. I'm Naomi Mella, and you're listening to Smashing the Ceiling, the podcast that tells the stories of women with interesting, unusual, and inspiring careers. In the era of Weinstein, Me Too, and Oscars So White, there have been a lot of discussions and much written recently about diversity in Hollywood. And although there's a long way to go to achieve parity in so many different ways, pay, representation, and so on, it feels like a conversation has started around this. But what about those who watch films, review them, and influence us, the general public, on what's worth watching? There are painfully few successful female film critics, and this is still an incredibly male-dominated area. Meryl Streep, love her, was asked about this and commented that it's not disheartening, it's infuriating. I submit to you, she said, that men and women are not the same. They like different things. Sometimes they like the same things, but their tastes diverge. If the tomatometer, which is the grading system on the review site Rotten Tomatoes, is slided so completely to one set of tastes, that drives the box office in the US, absolutely. My guest today, however, has been breaking the mould on film criticism for more than 20 years. She is Anna Smith, one of the most successful film critics of her generation, and the current president of the Critics Circle. Anna writes for The Guardian, Time Out, Empire, and a host of other publications, and appears frequently on Sky News and the BBC, amongst others, to review films, discuss breaking film news, and comment on awards contenders. She's a professional, unflappable and engaging host and can often be found moderating Q&As, press conferences or onstage conversations with some of the world's biggest stars. What a job! She is also in the midst of judging Under Her Eye, a competition run by Stylist magazine to encourage and recruit more female film critics. There's no bad language in this podcast, but just to warn you, there is some later discussion of sex scenes in films, particularly lesbian. So thanks, Anna, for joining me today and welcome to Smashing the Ceiling. Just wanted to ask you to begin with, um, how did you initially get into wanting to be a film critic? Was that a kind of lifelong dream or was it something you gradually grew into in a career in journalism? Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Um, I started out in journalism. I always knew I wanted to be in media or broadcasting in some way. Um, After doing a degree at Leeds in English, I went to Cardiff Journalism School um, for a postgraduate there studying uh, magazine journalism. And then I got into magazines. I went to women's magazines, dance music magazines. I became an editor. Uh, While I was doing that, I started, I sort of fell into doing the film reviews when I was at a magazine called Minx, which is no longer with us. Um, But it it was a terrific sort of slightly more edgy women's magazine and when I did the film reviews suddenly it was like a light bulb went off I thought oh my gosh this is the by far the most fun part of my job I wonder if I could make a go of it full time and then when Minx um, folded and I was made redundant it was actually my golden opportunity to give it a go and I haven't really looked back it just it just started to take off and I'm now happy to say I'm making a good living out of it. How would an average week work out for you like what would your sort of average week at work look like? Well, I've always been freelance uh, as a film critic, actually, um, which is the way I like it. Um, I'm very fortunate to be able to decide on my own schedule. So the thing is, it's very hard to say what an average week is. Um, I might have um, a few hours where I don't have anything in the diary, so I can spend some time doing boring stuff like admin, because you do need to be your own secretary, your, your own accountant, your own everything when you're freelance. Um, but uh, I would have screenings most days, film screenings. So whether it's a morning or a lunchtime or an evening, I would normally have one or two 
uh, screenings a day. And then in between that, I'll be writing up, I'll be answering queries, um, I might get broadcast appointments. Uh, some of them would be very last minute because they're news based. So if, for example, there's a breaking news story about like recently Danny Boyle leaving the Bond movie, then I'll suddenly my phone will go mad and I'll need to throw some good good looking clothes on and be ready to go on camera so uh, so yeah you, you, you do need to be flexible and sometimes unfortunately you do have to turn stuff down but my my, my schedule generally runs around um pre-arranged broadcast appointments hosting q a's and obviously you know print deadlines and watching movies presumably there are films that you watch that you just think oh my god this is garbage you know do you do you ever have times where it's tempting to kind of think that I know that I'm going to produce a, a damning review of this or do you tend to be quite positive about everything that you watch? I, I try to be fair I mean I, I'm in this because I I love film as well as, as critiquing film and analyzing things up so I do think that if, if it's if it's a, a poor movie or if it's starting to look like a poor movie then I actually think well that's a shame I'm disappointed but I'm really interested to see how I'm now going to evaluate this and fairly um, and um, I'm not one for digging the knife in uh, unnecessarily. Uh, certainly, especially like a low-budget Brit flick, I would always try to give a really good hearing so it would be incredibly irresponsible to walk out because sometimes you, films do get better in the third act. It can happen, you know, so um, so you don't want to write it off. Um, but, you know, if, if it's a big Hollywood film from a major studio, you, you can be a little bit more witty with it, I think, because you're not necessarily hurting as many feelings. People haven't put their... Um, sort of mortgages on the line for this um but but uh I, I do strive to be fair yeah mm. and when you're going to film screenings obviously you know big budget Hollywood box office films clearly you're going to see all of those how do you go about being judicious about the infinite number of small films that you could watch to review do you have a, a picking process for that that's a really good question I mean sometimes it would be that my editors would say would you like to, to review this film for example time out um ask me to review um sort of art house films quite often unfortunately a lot of other titles are more mainstream and so I know that I have to prioritize the big films in my schedule because those mm. are the ones I'm more likely to get asked to review but um I think in terms of my interests, I'm very interested in films made by women. I do a lot with the Bird's Eye View Film Festival, which is a year-round sort of celebration of female filmmakers. And um, so I will often, if, if it comes to it, prioritise things that look that it's going to tap into that area of interest, anything that's particularly female-focused, and anything that deals with LGBT issues as well, because I quite often write in The Guardian about feminism and LGBTQ plus issues regarding film. So something that I think might have an interesting story idea. But then again, The Incredibles too. I ended up writing a Guardian piece about, and because that was surprisingly feminist. So you never know what you're going to get an angle out of. A few weeks ago, Anna wrote a piece in The Guardian entitled Oral Sex and No Scissoring, How the Lesbian Gaze Changed Cinema, which made for really interesting reading and addressed the issue of how the male gaze of a film director impacts the way in which the female body is portrayed and how sex scenes, particularly those featuring, featuring lesbian sex, are shot. They're often really stylized with a pornographic feel that has just no basis in reality. The number of female film directors, like critics, is pitifully low, but there is a growing band of women shifting the narrative and making successful films. I asked Anna whether she thought that the future looked bright for the representation of women in sex scenes with the advent of more female film directors. I think it goes hand in hand. But I think in, in that piece, um, which I'm glad you enjoyed it, it went down very well. Um, 
I, I also highlighted the fact that you you can be a male director or a woman who isn't lesbian to and and make a successful film on that front. It's, it's about being responsible. Um, so it is twofold. I think yes, more female film directors um, will aid this process, but also I think it's just making people aware of it and just generally depictions of sexuality on screen just um, realizing that you don't have to put eroticism ones to one side if you're going to introduce some realism into it and it's about like anything if you were um, depicting a certain career or a job you would hire a consultant or, or at least ask a friend who has more knowledge of that than you do if you're doing a really low budget film so I think it's just about responsible filmmaking and I think what was great is that a lot of filmmakers really responded to that article in the Guardian and said yes this is what we're trying to do this is what should be being done uh, so I think it's just having that conversation more and more is really important mm. and the struggle of women to be represented on screen is really well documented obviously the rise of the me too movement has been massive over the last 12 to 18 months it seems that print and broadcasting outlets often face the same gender imbalance but that isn't really talked about very much um it's something that Meryl Streep's spoken about and um I know Jessica Chastain was was putting out a call to arms for for female critics to improve diversity and balance do you want to talk a little bit about that Anna and what your experiences have been as a female critic yeah, I think I think it's wonderful that this conversation is getting louder. Brie Larson also spoke out about it recently, and that's when the story is breaking. People start to listen. I mean, um, as president of the Critics Circle, I've been talking for quite some time that we need to boost the, the women in our ranks, um, and that you know, I've been trying to start initiatives um, with young female film critics. But it's only post Weinstein that people are starting to find this um, an interesting news topic, and it's getting more coverage. Um, the, the Stylist Magazine um, initiative I'm, I'm involved with judging is, is encouraging young female film critics. So I think when I go to speak at universities and such, like it's really great when young women come up to me afterwards, and especially young women or men of colour. I mean, it, diversity in general is is what's needed in film criticism. It's not just about gender. I think um, why it's important to me is I think that we need a variety of voices to reflect the audiences. Um, a lot of editors making the choices are of a certain demographic. That doesn't mean, you know, that they're not very good at their jobs, uh, but it's it's really important that they have a raft of freelancers to, um, to draw from who have different experiences and who might be able to speak to certain audiences more effectively. Uh, but you asked about my own experiences. I mean, I've been doing this for nearly 20 years now. And when I started out, I mean, it's difficult to say. I don't, I don't, you didn't ever encounter really obvious direct bias, but I think there was unconscious bias from a lot of my male editors. I was always given the chick flicks and, and the kids, the kids films to review. I don't have kids, but that was, you know, I was put in that box for a long time. And I remember one of my editors saying, oh, Anna, what, what, what are your favorite genres? And he was really shocked when I said sci-fi because he, he just never, he never thought to ask. And he's like, but you always write about chick flicks. I'm like, that's because that's all you ask me to write about. So it, it's just about a case of us all having an open conversation. And again, if I was to do it now, I think I'd go in there and say, by the way, don't just give me the chick flicks. I, I'm, I'm a fan of all, all genres. And now, of course, all my editors know that and people are more minded about what they ask me to review. Interestingly, I found women have women editors have never put me in a box. 
That's <laughs> Funny that. Uh, but, but you know, not not to go down on uh, male editors because I think a lot of them now are really on board and mm. they are tackling their own unconscious bias, and it's something we all need to continue to encourage each other to do. Like, I, I'm going to start unconscious bias training in the critic circle. I think that's something that we could all benefit from. So it, it's about um, everyone being aware of an issue and tackling it rather than in the past I think yeah the majority of film critics were men and there probably were a lot of people hiring and firing that inherently thought men were better at it. I read a really interesting quote when I was researching this interview from Martha Lausen of the University of San Diego who has conducted research into film criticism and gender. She said women's underrepresentation among the top critics is not only an employment issue for women who write about film it also impacts the amount of exposure that films with female protagonists receive. There has been much written recently about a lack of decent meaty gritty protagonist roles for female actors particularly women of a certain age because Hollywood has been so obsessed with youth and beauty and those roles that do occur are often in low budget art house films rather than Hollywood blockbusters with plenty of press attention. I asked Anna whether she felt that as a female film critic she is more likely or better placed to shine a spotlight on women in these sorts of roles. I think I'm well placed. Again, it's a bit like the, you know, di- you know, is can a director make a film about that's not their own experience? I think a good journalist, as I was trained to believe, should be able to write about anything. But I do think uh, in terms of editing and making choices for example when I'm asked to be the film editor of Time Out for a bit while the editor's away I'm I'm thinking very hard I'm in the position of choosing what films to cover and who to interview so my perspective may be slightly different to that of of, of somebody else Uh, and, and I think it's just really important to constantly question and think now have I given every film in this list that's coming out this week a fair hearing and thought about what kind of space it deserves here and I think those are the the kind of questions that a lot of editors have not been asking honestly or thoroughly enough in the past Uh, but in terms of as a freelancer if someone said well Anna can you you review this because it's it's got a female lead I mean I'm not I'm not saying that a a man couldn't because then I I can't then it'd be like me saying well I can't review an action film or a film of about men which is obviously not true but I think it's really valuable to get a female perspective on on a film that is particularly about gender and the female condition um and I think I think there are cases actually recently where I do think that men's perspective and women's perspective have differed on a film like the spy who dumped me I think is a really interesting example because that's a mainstream comedy which is not great in many ways but the it's the tone of its comedy was very specifically speaking to women and it was speaking to the sort of embarrassing secrets that we all have and that's not necessarily something that men would find it easy to understand or relate to or laugh at so I think there are occasions when it is really relevant and was the way in which that film was received quite different between male and female critics generally yes uh, it got it got of, of negative reviews uh, in general, but that's because possibly because most uh, reviewers are men. Now, some women didn't like it, but there was a blog that I read um, written by a man, interestingly, and he he very rightly sort of looked into it because he said, well, I didn't really think this film was that great, but the women seemed to like it more. And his the stats he came up with is that generally women did, women critics did like it more. Yeah. All right. That's interesting. That's really interesting. And um, 
just backtracking slightly, you mentioned about being president of the film critic, the UK Critics Circle. Sorry, um, can you just tell us a little bit about what the Critics Circle does, stands for, and what your role is within that? So we have been going for 100 years, uh, the film section less than that, as you can imagine, but we have many sections, including dance and music. So we are a, a, a collection of critics who write about the arts. We're all really the major critics in the UK. There's about four or five hundred of us. Uh, the film section is by far the largest and uh, numbers are, are swelling. So we do we are very particular about who we take on. You have to have been a professional critic for at least two years and submit your cuts to a committee and such like. Um, and, and one thing I'm very pleased about is that last year we, we've had um, an increase in the number of young women applying and, um, and, and also women who are really, uh, you know, deserving. But there's, there's positive discrimination happening here. There's some really great female critics coming through and also people of colour, which is badly needed an increase in. Um, so... So that's great. Um, in the Critics Circle, we are an awards-giving body. So in the film section, for example, we have our um, awards every January at the Mayfair Hotel, and we get a lot of A-list stars coming to that. And it's always a wonderful chance to celebrate film and to meet the people that we admire and to reward the, the actors and directors and producers that we admire. So um, it's it's a it's a chance to celebrate what we love. Uh, but th there are many aspects of the Critics Circle. We meet in um, discuss issues that affect us all because criticism is ailing in terms of our abilities to make a living. A lot of people are finding it's much harder to get work. It's not a job for life like it used to be. And the one of the problems is that while the internet brings more opportunities, it also brings more competition and people prepared to write for free. So I um, initiated a stop a kind of um, stop writing for free or stop stop broadcasting for free campaign called the Critics Code, which means that if we've signed it, we have to uh, ask for a fee for appearances and and writing because we feel that you know we're professionals and we should be paid for our work by professional bodies. Mm, sure. Um, and and just on that one, you know, the people often say that the future of print journalism is looking dicey at, at, at times you know certain uh, you know the guardian has had some fairly well publicized um financial difficulties should we say um do you do you have an opinion on uh, you know the future of print journalism broadcast journalism etc in the internet age well i'd like to think it's rosy i think broadcast journalism is perhaps an easier one to navigate uh, but I'm only seeing it really from the employees perspective so uh, I don't really know what's going on behind the scenes but there certainly seems to be work in broadcast um print yeah I mean that that's something we're all concerned about it's something that it is raising a lot of questions about how how does the guardian for example um you know finance going forward um yeah, I, I, I've certainly seen a great number of magazines fold uh, while I've been writing for them over the last 20 years. Absolutely, a lot of them. Um, and a lot of them certainly shrink their film coverage because a lot of it's the, 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 it's advertising-based, the finance aspect of that. And, of course, the Internet is now where a lot of film companies might choose to advertise uh, or to run their trailers. And YouTube is, is somewhere that people go for trailers. So perhaps there's less um, print advertising for films. So all this sort of thing feeds in to, to what we do. But uh, I, I don't think print's going to go away, but clearly we've seen a shrink in the amount of successful magazines and newspapers, and I think that trend will continue.
Mm. It seems reasonably likely that it'll become fewer larger publications with more money behind them, perhaps. I would say so, yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just, we chatted briefly before about the um, the new award from Stylist Magazine for which you're a judge, um, delightfully named Under Her Eye, which is quite a nice nod to Margaret Atwood and The Handmaid's Tale. Um, could you just tell us a little bit about that, Anna, as well? So stylists um, are encouraging young women to send in their work, their items of criticism, um, in order to give them paid work if they succeed in winning as um, critics for stylists itself. So I think it's a wonderful chance for people like I would have been, you know, 25 years ago, who are keen to get into film criticism and quality journalism and to give their point of view as women. Uh, so I think I think it's, it's quite exciting to see that the response we've had to that because it's it's been huge and there's been a lot of comments on Twitter and a lot of people retweeting it and getting involved. So I'm really looking forward to reading the work that the, the writers are going to be submitting and um, then hopefully working with these young film critics in future because they will end up being my peers well not my peers but you know we'll, we'll all be working in the same environment and um, at the moment there is a minority of, of female film critics as I say and um, we've got a small gang so I'd like to see that gang get bigger you know journalism in, in general is very very competitive um do you you know if people are kind of desperate to get into that do you think that there is a, a best route or is it just you know, in this day and age, like you say, people can put things out on the internet. You know, perhaps traditionally you might have gone through the student newspaper or the local newspaper was a real traditional route a little while ago. How do you think that has changed in terms of people's opportunities to get into journalism and, and by extension, film criticism? You see many, many different routes, I think, as you say, in the past it was possibly a bit more traditional, but um, since the, the advent of the internet, obviously there's opportunities for people to get noticed, um, to start blogs, to start blogs, um, to be tweeting. But I would always, I'm quite old school, you know, I, I was well trained as a journalist and that training stood me in really good stead. And I would always advise doing some kind of journalism training rather than just starting to write uh, because the, the, the mm. journalism applied to all aspects. A film critic is no different. So uh, while it's wonderful if you've got a flair for um, analysis, and that's, certain, that's certainly if you've studied English and such, that will help. But um, I do think I would advise people to do some sort of well-considered course in the subject um, of journalism, uh, not necessarily criticism. But... Uh, there are many, many routes. I think networking and putting yourself out there is always hugely important, meeting the right people and just be, getting your reputation for being incredibly efficient. Uh, that's certainly something that's helped me because editors always know that I'm going to file on time, if not early. And certainly when I was starting out, that was probably, along with the quality of my work, one of the most important aspects um, that got me rehired. <laughs> that's a really good tip actually isn't it because being organized efficient and on time is not that difficult but it's amazing how many people can't do it and I'd imagine it's really important to an editor in terms of getting yourself rehired very much so and you'd be surprised at how many people aren't so <laughs> <laughs> mm. yeah sure um that, is there anything else you would like to mention Anna or discuss but I always sort of throw throw the door open to my guests to say is there anything you would like to promote talk about 
issues you'd like to mention, anything like that? Well, it would be lovely if your listeners wanted to follow me on Twitter at Anna Smith Journo. And um, yeah, it's just it's always lovely to hear people's views on films. And if they're interested in my articles in The Guardian, feminism, such that's that's always wonderful to hear. So it's it's just great to have feedback um, from fellow film lovers who are interested in the same kind of topics I am. And are there any films coming up that you'd particularly um, flag people towards that for recommendations for the autumn as we're, we seem to be coming to the end of the lovely weather in summer so it's probably time to get into the cinema. I would say London Film Festival is going to have some terrific uh, films in it and I think Widows is definitely one to look out for the new Steve McQueen film and Colette looks really interesting starring Kira Knightley a film that I love that's still in a few cinemas is Leave No Trace which is Deborah Granick's follow-up to A Winter's Bone I highly recommend that if anyone has a chance to watch that that's probably one of my films of the year and, and certainly the only one I've given five stars to so far. Oh, right. I'll have to check that one out. Widows is released in cinemas on November the 16th, and having watched the trailer, I will definitely be going to see that. Colette with Kira Knightley is out in January 2019, and the London Film Festival is on from the 10th to the 21st of October. You can find Anna on Twitter and Instagram, as she said, at Anna Smith Journo, and her website is annasmithjourno.com. Thanks, Anna, for joining us today. It was brilliant. That's all for this time, and thanks for joining us. You've been listening to Smashing the Ceiling with me, Naomi Mella. Please subscribe if you haven't already, and feel free to leave us a nice review on your favourite podcast site as it helps others to find us. More importantly, if you enjoyed it, spread the word, as word of mouth is still the most powerful form of advertising. You can follow us on Twitter at Smashing Ceiling, and on Instagram at Smashing the Ceiling, and we'll hopefully see you next time.